I wasn't miserable there, but I wasn't excited to be there. And I, I do feel like, you know, the, any workplace deserves their, their people to have an enthusiasm for what they're doing there. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Today on the show, we have Kimber Morgan. Kimber, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joel. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Me too. Me too. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit what's going on in your world right now? Uh, so I am a wedding photographer. I've been doing weddings for a little, about two years, and so it's still relatively new to me, but learning a lot. Um, kind of more narrow perspective. Right now, learning some really tough lessons in the business, and then on a larger um, perspective, just um, starting, I'm preparing to reflect on my past year, so 2019, and goal setting for 2020, which I'm really excited about. Cool, man. Okay, so what's what's the, the tough lessons that you've uh, discovered? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> just working with people. Um, so I, I realized that I've evolved a lot this year as a business and knowing um, what I deliver, how I deliver it. And so I, you know, I got some new software to help manage my, um, my agreements and payments and client information and all that. So getting organized and, uh, actually had a really tough conversation, maybe a, a spout with a past bride and she, I don't know how much information to give or not. <laughs> just go high level if you want to. Just just call it a past pride. Okay. Um. So there, I have a past bride. Worked with her over the summer, and she her the nature of her job. She was away for the past, I guess, three or four months. And the way my gallery delivery goes, um, I send an email. Here's a link to your gallery. You can download your images there. You know, please download them and store them. And then the gallery link will eventually expire because on my end on cloud storage and stuff like that, it saves me a little bit of space. So delivered her gallery. I had messaged her about, you know, Hey, just checking in to make sure you received it because I didn't hear anything. Usually brides at least say, Hey, thanks. Like they look great. And I didn't hear anything. So, you know, checked with the, checked in with her. She said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm out in the field. Uh, you know, I'll kind of look at it when I can. I said, okay. So I didn't hear anything. And I thought maybe she was just the kind of person that was more reserved and, you know, didn't need to be, you know, give a bubbly thanks. But, um, I had wrongly assumed that she had already viewed her gallery of images. Well, this past weekend she was visiting her mom and she has a limited amount of time every year that she can visit with her family. And she was anticipating viewing her gallery with her mom for the first time except it had expired and she was very heartbroken over it and I understand why so you know luckily I was home I was at my computer I said you know I'm going to upload your images again to a new gallery just give me a little bit of time it'll take some time to upload your 800 images uh, but in the meantime she was just very upset about it and I get it 
Um, and she was very, you know, felt hurt that I hadn't communicated that the gallery would expire. And, you know, there's supposed to be all these automated emails that kind of warn them when that's going to happen. Um, so I ended up getting a few, you know, bad reviews on my Google page and my other wedding page, which stinks. I'm not worked up about it, but, um, it was just a very hard situation because I can, I can see the situation, but I can't, like, I felt like I was doing everything I could to problem solve it. But in the meantime, her emotional state, I can't do anything about that. She's going to write the reviews and post them that she's going to. It happens a lot to a lot of different business owners. So it's just my first experience with that. Um, and, you know, just feeling like you disappointed people that you had a good connection with um, is never fun. Uh, and, you know, you and I, Joel, have talked about ownership a lot. And so just taking ownership of those decisions I've made um, is also hard. Yeah, no, it's, it's not an easy uh, thing to take on. In fact, it's, 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 it's probably the, the, the one thing that can set you free, but it's, it is the hardest thing. I, I, do you know, I, I still struggle with it. Yeah, you know? I think in, in hindsight, you know, like, oh, you know, taking ownership of those past decisions feels awful <laughs> because usually it's, you know, I should have, you know, you know, done something different. But, you know, forward looking ownership is a really great thing because I think it's very productive and helps you, you know, be more organized and um, more aware of, you know, your responsibilities and how to best serve people. Uh, so overall, it is a good thing, but I think in looking at it, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> it's harder. Yeah, it's. I think I think the 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 game is is sometimes we tend to view it as you know uh, fail bad, but mm-hmm. that would be like a, a linear perspective. Do you know what I mean if it's a straight line? Whereas when we realize our engagements with other people and communications with other people, everything is cyclical. Mm-hmm. So. Do you know what I mean if we're continuing to learn from the loop, mm-hmm. we can we can sort of skip ahead a couple of spaces because we're not going to perpetuate the same mistake over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's projecting our learning forward, which is then going to quantum leap you forward. You know, mm-hmm. which most yeah. If if you if you never come to the point where you recognize that, then you're in the loop. Yes, mm-hmm. and you're not in the loop anymore. <laughs> hopefully not no absolutely not so yeah okay so what what was the the biggest upshot from that event then? i mean our things currently how did you manage to process that for yourself uh well after a lot of crying about it and feeling bad because all of these you know unfortunately you know I, I i like to give my brides access to text me because i mean it's you know, 2019, almost 2020. And that's how we communicate. So um, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of these messages were coming over um, text message. So after I licked my wounds from that, um, really focused on problem solving and just making amends as best I can without hurting my business. Uh, Cause she did, you know, several times in the conversation demand a refund and um, another friend who's kind of more like a um, a mentor to me. I talked with him about the situation. He's like, Kimber, it's like, you're a small business. He's like, I'm a small business. He's like, do not give her a refund. Like, you know, in the end, if you've done everything and, you know, that's, you know, your last resort. He's like, don't make it your first resort. 
Um, so just learning where those lines are, of what's um, a healthy apology and what's not as a business partner, a uh, business person um, is a good lesson to learn. Cause I know how to, I think I know how to thank my brides and, you know, treat them well, but to apologize well is a new lesson for me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a new perspective. So the more perspectives you got, the more choices you got. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, there's a learning there somewhere for me as well. I can feel it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, never too old to learn. So, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, okay, so let's let's go um, back a little bit. So, I mean, let's, let's go back to maybe uh, Kimber Primary. So, you're currently Kimber f- uh, photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, you know, let's, let's go back to childhood times. Give, give me some stories that maybe come to mind from childhood. Um, I was a very difficult child. Uh, well, my mom would say, and it it was, um, yeah, I I was the cursed middle child. Uh, so I have that going for me. I have an older sister and younger brother. Um, my parents divorced when I was young. So we lived with my mother primarily growing up and being the closest in age to my younger brother, I was appointed to, um, you know, you know, play outside and, you know, do something together. And my mom was very much, you know, that especially during summer, you know, go outside, find something, you know, to do that doesn't destroy things. Um, I remember uh, a lot of fun things we did. We did. We would, you know, take the, the camcorder, those like ginormous ones that are like the size of laptop that laptops are now um, with the VHS tape in it. We would take those and make little movies sometimes. Um, we would play a lot with like tractors and we would play playhouse <laughs> a lot. Um, uh, the one thing I remember I didn't love doing was playing football uh, because in uh, American football and Cody, you know, being the only boy in our household, you know, wanted to play football and he may have enjoyed it a little bit more because I like never wanted to, to play football. Um, so yeah, I remember being forced to uh, learn the game. Learn the game was he was he rough on you? Um, I just don't think I think I just didn't like losing, and I was never <laughs> really athletically inclined per se. So you know, even just with two hand tag, I would get so upset that you know, as soon as I like tried to make a move, run for you know the, the end goal, Cody would tag me, and I'd be I'd just get all huffy about it and upset about it, and. That's why I didn't like playing. <laughs> I couldn't win. Okay, so there's, there's a bit of a, uh, what's, what's that? That's a, a competitive streak. Yes. So did that? Um, or just a perfectionistic one. Okay, so did, have those followed you uh, until maybe high school? Yes, they did. And how, um, how did they show themselves? Mostly in grades, for sure. Um, I mean, I don't know if part of that was, I'm curious to myself if I still would have, you know, really strived for A's and been disappointed with B's if that wasn't modeled by my older sister, Caitlin. Um, so she was, you know, straight A student involved in choir and the school musical and things like that. Um, she had friends and I mean, I, I still strive for the same things, um, but I'm not sure 
if it was my personality or that it was modeled for me and that kind of set the standard for me. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So, so how about then forward a few years to maybe you, did you go to uni? Yes. So, so how, so obviously now you've got a, you've got that perfectionist slash uh, competitive streak edge, Mm -hmm. which, which, is, is going to manifest in one way in high school, but what, what happens when you hit uni then? Um, so when I went to college, I got a, lot, a little bit more relaxed in the grades as kind of my standard for, you know, I'm, I'm you know, high achieving. I did get, um, you know, A's and B's in most of my classes. I did get my first, like, official C in a class, and I was just happy to, you know, pass it and be done with it that I really didn't mind the C, but I think that, um, perfectionism and the, the desire to be a high achiever manifested itself more so in, um, just being involved in, you know, a little bit of everything and managing, managing that well. Um, so being involved with the, um, campus student ministry you know they have a a band that plays music once a week uh i was a bonner scholar so that's a special scholarship at that school that's offered and you're required to do 140 hours of community service every semester um in exchange for a scholarship so i had to fulfill those hours and there were a lot of other trainings and meetings required with that uh in addition to my regular classes and homework um and then uh, you know, trying to maintain a social life and, you know, make friends, have friends. And so keeping all that up in the air and, you know, just the appearance of, you know, I'm doing it all um, and I'm doing it all well uh, was kind of my measure of, you know, being a perfect college student, I guess. Okay. Is, do you think, is that what you was trying to live up to? You had, you had to live up to that perfect representation in your head? Yeah, oh yeah, in college, yes. Yeah. Okay, and, and is that where do where do you think that perception come from? Um I don't know. I I think a lot of it might stem from my personality and how I've just been built and designed that failure is not really an option for me. Okay. Um and then I think part of it might be might be part of um, how I was raised, you know, in a single parent home. Uh, we went without a lot of things. So I don't know if part of that scarcity was, you know, you have to achieve and be successful with what you have or you won't have anything. I don't. I don't know. I see. I, I. I can see what you're saying. I mean, I, I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. From from my own my own upbringing, you know, money being a struggle and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, when I when I when I flunked on my my mock GCSEs, <laughs> and and my dad I, I saw my report. He he wasn't best impressed. <laughs> so, and then it was like then it was the speech of like, oh, what are you going to do when you leave school? Da 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 da. da you know. 
And they're saying, well, I don't know, I get a job. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't actually realize, do you? You, don't, you haven't got the mental wherewithal to process the implications of that because you haven't been there to understand mm. it. Right. Yeah. So, okay, you said something interesting just now I'd like to touch on, though. Uh, okay. You said um, failure wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Could you, um, so thinking back upon your life, can you tell us some stories that maybe pop up where failure is not an option is involved? Um, I think in my life, um, especially up like through college, um, failure was more defined as kind of a, it's like a final state, like a, a, you're settling for, you know, not achieving something, but as long as I was, pursuing something as long as I at least wanted it and was aware of you know what the goal was I was at least treading water and avoiding you know touching down in that failure state um I think I mean my brain's just going to um my relationship with my dad was one where maybe I I really struggled with it because maybe I did without naming it viewed it as kind of a failed relationship. Um, being my parents being divorced. And then, uh, we would see my dad, um, like maybe once a month and, you know, for whatever politics, parental politics went on in the background that, that made that happen. I was not aware of them, but I, I struggled a lot growing up because, um, you know, communication with my dad was sparse visits with my dad were sparse and that to me communicated, um, like a lack of, of love or care for us. So like, well, we're his kids. Why, why wouldn't he, you know, I see these other dads there, you know, encouraging their kids in sports or, you know, just doing things with them. And so I, I always struggled against that concept of a father and what that relationship looks like um, to the point where I would, you know, get kind of bitter against him um, and then go in this cycle of, you know, oh, well, you know, i I'm going to do my part. I'm going to take ownership of this and, you know, extend uh, the olive branch, you know, reach out, you know, schedule time to spend with him, things like that. And then, you know, I'd grow, grow bitter again and start the whole cycle again. Um, And I, I, I guess I felt like as long as I had my eye on the goal of, I know what a successful relationship between a father and, you know, his kids or, you know, father daughter relationship looks like. And as long as I wanted it and um, felt in some way like I was pursuing it by, you know, me calling him and me saying, hey, I'm going to come up and visit, that I was avoiding, you know, settling, you know, this permanence in this permanent state of, oh, I have a terrible relationship with my dad. I think that was everything that I was avoiding. And, and like how I, de- I would have defined that as like a failed relationship with my dad. Okay. So you, you, you took ownership of it. Uh, in cycles. Yeah. But, but exactly that, that, and that's exactly the way it works. And it, I mean, you've got to feel you, you have something happen and then you not like it and then you repeat it and then you not <laughs> like it. And eventually you'll notice the pattern. Hmm. Or the pain will get so much, you think, mm. I can't do this no more. Something yeah. needs to change. 
Mm. So, I, yeah, and, and that's from my own personal experience. I've had both. I've had the pain is too much, mm. and I've noticed patterns. Mm-hmm. And if you can note, I find it, I think that notice the patterns first, and the pain comes last. If you can notice the patterns, you're ahead of the pain. <laughs> so, so, okay. so look for the patterns. Mm. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's so. This this perception you had of what a perfect father daughter relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is obviously something in your head, and you you've you've pulled you've plucked it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So so where where again where do you think that might have come from? Because. <laughs> Um, probably, uh, so we, my mom would take us to church. We were the family that was there for like Sunday morning, Sunday evening church when they would have, when they used to have, I don't think they really have anymore. Um, and then Wednesday they would have a lot of like Bible studies and kids programs. So there, we were at that church, you know, three days, you know, three times a week. And a lot of the families were, um, non-divorced. I, you know, I felt like kind of the only family I knew that was divorced growing up. Um, so I, I got to, and I'm very thankful for it, um, to have been around and see, um, a lot of other families and, and dads and, you know, there's a family, um, I still greatly admire, uh, they have three daughters and the dad would he, they had these like nicknames for each of the girls. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing that, you know, Oh, like, you know, their, her, their dad or their parents kind of, you know, gave them this nickname that's just theirs. And it was just this like ultimate signal of like, um, endearment and family that like to have a nickname, um, that I thought was really cool. And so just seeing them, um, interacting, seeing them maybe not like argue, but you know, are you like, Hey, like it's time to go to softball practice. She doesn't want to go to softball practice, but she had somebody there pushing her, you know, to, you know, stay committed to what she, you know, signed up for, you know, softball team. Um, and just seeing the way that they love each other and spend time together was kind of how I set my standards for family. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, and that's, that's genuinely what works. And it's, it's we're shaped by what we see, mm-hmm. what we hear. Um, that story we just said then reminded me of a, an article in, have you have you heard of David Goggins? No, I don't think so. So he's he's um he's been on a few big shows, but he I think his book is uh, You Can't Hurt Me. Um, mm. but he's a real inspirational speaker, and he had he had the roughest upbringing. Mm. But he starts off, and he and he's telling you about how his he stood in like suburbia, uh, white, well-to-do area, uh, mm-hmm. and he's a colored gentleman, and. But he's like he's one of the, the one of the fewest families in the blocks, mm-hmm. and then he's 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 relating this story: white picket fence and you know new mm-hmm. car and you know there's this sense of money, and then what everyone in the in the street think that you know that all everything's hunky dory and all cool, mm-hmm. and it turns out that his dad, as soon as he sends him when he gets when they pull up in the morning, the kids go to school, but what no one knows is in the evening. Uh, the dad runs an ice rink mm-hmm. and the, and the, and the kids work and clean the ice rink till midnight. Oh, wow. Sleep. They sleep till like four where they got to get up and then they drive home. So these, oh, yeah. And then and <laughs> when they get in, then they got to go to school for seven, eight hours. Wow. And, and then it's repeat then. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. when I listened to that, I thought, God, I wonder how many, 
how much of the perception of when I was younger of, of people's lives I thought were perfect or spot on, or mm-hmm. I wish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just sort of crumbles the but you, you, you take on things that's happened in the past where you think, yeah, well, they got it good, or he's doing well, or mm-hmm. nobody knows, do they? Nobody truly knows. Right. You know, and I, and I think that's a, a good little, a good little one to keep in your back pocket when you think things are, are perfect. You, yes. you never truly know. You never truly know. <laughs> right. So, yeah, anyway, that was a long story. <laughs> it was a good one, though. <laughs> okay. Um, let's have a look. Okay. So, of, of all the obstacles you've overcome, mm-hmm. how, how does Kimber now process and view obstacles in life? Um... Hmm. Sorry, I was looking. <laughs> what I wrote. Um, for me, um, I since becoming self-employed and working for myself by myself, and really having to seek out those opportunities and ways to grow personally and professionally, I have like a lot of my perspective has changed, and especially on how I view um, kind of you know problems, you know, kind of outside forces or those obstacles happening to me. Um, and I think now being on this side of things that, um, I view obstacles a lot as problems to be solved. Um, I am very much the personality that I like for there to be like multiple wins. Uh, I know I've talked to you about, you know, the things that excite me the most are situations where it's a win-win-win, where you know all the stakeholders in the situation um, are benefiting, not just myself perhaps, but you know everything's perfect. You know that's probably the closest I can get to perfect is a win-win-win, and um, so that's usually try, kind of the state I like to try to strive um, to be when working through obstacles. I like to look at um, different perspectives of the situation, like the emotional and relational perspectives um, of myself, you know, what's happening to me? Why am I feeling this way? Is that okay? Um, you know, what might other people be thinking and feeling and why is that? Why do they respond that way to me? Um, before, you know, and, and kind of digesting all that before moving forward to prescribe and consider the solutions I have. Um, so, you know, with the, the bride um, that was upset this past weekend, um, you know, I, I could have just been like, Oh, like I just want, you know, the barrage of insults to stop. I'm just going to give her her money back. But, uh, I don't think that would have been the best situation for me. Um, I'd be losing a chunk of change there, um, which isn't good for my business and for my family. Um, but then also, you know, I would be missing out on a potential conversation with her, which I have extended to her, uh, to talk on the phone with her about, you know, the issue. And, um, so obstacles, I view them as really tough learning lessons, um, and, you know, something to work through. Um, it's something that I need to be involved in and, you know, if it, if it, if it involves me, um, I want to be a part of the solution. Um, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, once that solution is implemented, that, 
you know, we can achieve at least a, a win-win for the people involved, if not a win-win-win. Cool. Okay. So what happens if it's not a win-win? And that's not the solution I take. <laughs> what, does, what does a non-win-win give you? Ooh. Um, so if it's just, you know, a win of a solution, um, what happens then? Somebody loses. Okay. Um, and I'll just, go on. Let's dig, I want to dig into that one. What if, what, so what if it's a situation where you've got a client or there's a situation that's a rose where mm -hmm. there is no win-win, mm -hmm. but it has to be a side that concedes, mm -hmm. whether it's ethically, morally, or any one of the emotional, physical, mental, whatever it is, it has to be some sort of backing down of one party. Mm -hmm. What does, how, how would Kimber view that? And, and what would be, I would, I would, how would you put that right in your head? Yeah, I would. I mean, I am prone to prioritizing. If somebody has to give something up, it's going to be me. Um, I, I do take the victim mentality at times in my life, but I would say um, in those kinds of situations where I'm seeking a solution, I am much less likely to take the victim um, perspective for myself and say, poor me, like I am owed, you know, everything from this person, like that other person has to lose in this situation. Um, that's my best solution. That is rarely, I don't, I can't really think of a situation on the spot right now. Um, I rarely take that as my solution. Uh, I'm more likely to say, you know, if this helps that person, if this makes this problem go away, um, then you know, I'm willing to bite the bullet on this one and do what I need to do um, to make it right, um, at least in the eyes of that other person, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, okay. That's, that's great. It's great. So what I, want, what I wanted to touch on as well, you mentioned something just now. You said you shifted from, you left your full-time job to pursue what you're pursuing now. Yes. So can we rewind a little bit to the previous role and maybe talking us through the phasing out of you because you know what was the talk talk around the change or the shift that caused the move to full-time employment or self self self-employment okay um so the reason i was in that job to begin with working at a private christian school it was, it, it was about a 40 minute drive from my house. And the reason I had taken that job was because my husband and I had recently moved um, to this new area in Southwestern Pennsylvania. And he had, was given the opportunity to coach soccer, um, be an assistant coach on a collegiate level, which was a good opportunity for him. So we talked about it a lot and took that opportunity, which I was really happy for him for. I was like, no problem, I'll just find a new job. So I applied for this job. It was, I think, maybe the only one that I would sent my application to before we made the physical move. Um, was offered a job there, and I took it. And there were no other offers on the table, and I think that might have been why I took the job, to be honest. But, um, you know, a great, you know, mission there, uh, really great coworkers, uh, meaningful work, and 
but for whatever reason, I just didn't feel settled there. Um, didn't quite feel like, you know, maybe all of my skill set was being utilized. Um, again, I, I didn't feel like I had a reason to. I, I felt like I couldn't pinpoint, Kimber, why don't you enjoy working here? Like, your coworkers are all really great. Um, you know, you, you are working for a very meaningful mission or purpose. You know, what is wrong with you? Um, and I couldn't pinpoint it. And so I eventually, you know, I prayed about it a lot and I decided, okay, you know, end of this school year, which is, uh, you know, around May or June, uh, I was like, okay, I need to decide if I am going to stay here and, you know, stay here another year or if I'm going to resign and bow out. And I decided to resign and bow out. And, um, because I, I wasn't miserable there, but I wasn't excited to be there. And I, I do feel like, you know, the, any workplace deserves their, their people to have an enthusiasm for what they're doing there. Um, so I did resign my, you know, quote unquote, normal full-time job, um, at the end of May in 2018. And actually in January of 2018 was the time where I was like, okay, I'm going to take my photography more seriously. Like I had bought this, you know, nice camera, um, a full frame camera the year, a uh, year or two beforehand. And I was like, okay, I have this really expensive camera and I'm not making any money with it. This seems kind of silly. It's like, I'm going to make a website for it. I'm going to try, you know, to monetize this a little bit. So in January, 2018, I, you know, you know, got my business name and, you know, set things up so that I could be making money there, um, created a website to show some of my work. And so when I quit my job in May, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just try this photography thing. You know, it's kind of there. Um, and, you know, we'll give that a go. So a, a ton of ignorance there about what I was actually getting myself into and walking into. Um, but so much growth, you know, and I thought that I had, you know, developed a lot as a, as a person and a professional in you know, the previous jobs I had, but, you know, working on my own and seeking out the people that I'm going to be influenced by, you know, maybe, you know, I don't see these people every day, but on a weekly basis, um, you know, touching base, you know, people like you, Joel, <laughs> and, um, you know, choosing how I'm going to grow instead of waiting on my workplace to, you know, say, Hey, we, we have this training or, you know, for something to come across my desk, you know, conference or something like that. Um, I can't believe sometimes that I'm the person I am right now. Uh, just thinking about, you know, how on top of things I felt at my, um, last job in, uh, 2016, loved my job there. I loved the people I was working with. I felt like I was really contributing. You know, I kind of got that affirmation that I was contributing in really meaningful ways. Um, and just comparing myself then to what I, who I am now and what I know, like, oh my gosh, uh, just, I just, I just really can't believe it sometimes. Okay. So what, so when, when I know we've talked about this, that, that first job you mentioned, Mm-hmm. So what's, what's the, what's the difference that makes the difference between then and now? Um, so many things. Um, I mean, that ownership piece is a lot. I realize now that I had a really great boss working there and I'm thankful for the 
season that I did have with him to work, um, you know, on his team. But I realized that he did kind of shelter me from a lot of um, maybe consequences and maybe tough conversations, maybe criticism that other people were like, hey, you know, she's really young and, you know, what is she doing? What are you letting her do? Um, and I think uh, my boss had shielded me from a lot of that so that I was able to focus a little bit more on what I was doing, um, what was in front of me instead of being distracted by those other things. So um, one is just that ownership, you know, all the decisions, good and bad, come back to me. Um, I don't have a boss to <laughs> shield me from any of that right now. Um, and li like I said, just kind of, um, being very intentional about the influence I do, the influences, influencers <laughs> I surround myself with, um, right now that's a lar largely kind of on a, a, maybe virtual basis who I interact with on social media, um, what podcasts I listen to while I work and um, what I'm learning and implementing from those conversations. Um, and then I think too, just defining um, how I am successful in my work has changed a lot. And um, whereas before it's, you know, at my first job at the school in Maryland that I worked at for two years, um, I guess I defined my success there as um, you know, being a contributor, uh, being somebody that at least perceivably, you know, is moving the school and the mission, the students there, the staff, helping us all move forward. Um, you know, growing, giving, I was in charge of fundraising at that school and strategizing for that. Um, but if I were still on that job now, with the focus I have now, which is more on, um, you know, creating a lifestyle that is conducive for family. So we don't have kids yet, but that is in the, the master plan. If I still had that job that, and I was working the hours that I was working then and trying to pursue the same thing right now, which is a family life and, you know, paying off our student loans, I would probably be driving myself crazy. Um, just the time balance, I would spend a lot of extra time at work just to get things done. And also because my husband, Zach was also so involved at the same workplace. He, you know, was either coaching the high school soccer team, staying late hours, like, oh, well, I'm going to stay till six o'clock too, and just get some things done. Um, not really healthy and not definitely not something I want right now. Um, and so I just feel like everything has shifted. Um, and I, I guess I would hope so, not just for myself or anybody, you know, as they mature, I would hope that their perspectives would also mature on the, you know, how they view themselves and their work. Yeah, that's a big shift. I mean, I didn't know that backstory either with the, you know, leaving in May and start picking the camera up in January. <laughs> I, I never knew that. Yes. That is so brief. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, kudos to you. Look, look what you achieved. I mean, you, you, even though it might have been uh, subconsciously blipping away, <laughs> if you put yourself in a position where you had a website, you had content, mm -hmm. you had something you could monetize, mm -hmm. rather than... So I know you said it, 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 the environment, 
because you enjoyed it, you you was you was there probably longer than you needed to be during a working day. Mm-hmm. But was it that awareness that eventually flipped the switch? Like, I mean, that time, my t- my time, it seems to be going all here, and Zach's doing the same. Mm-hmm. Is, is that was that the the cause of the the, the the switch to right? I'm going. I'm gone. Um. Hmm. Not necessarily. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. On, it, uh, are you can asking? You, can you put your finger on the point where you thought, you know, you say you said I, I need to assess everything and do I stay another year mm-hmm. uh, and everything else, but that's a very general view. But there must have been the straw that broke the camel's back. It must have been that one thing you thought, you know what, I am done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you, do you know what that was? Um, I think it was really, you know, okay, Cameron, like the two solutions in front of you are either you stay at the job and you commit to it, you, you give 100% there, or you, you resign and you find something else. And I think the... The bottom line, the question that I answered to myself was like, I don't want to work there. Okay. Um, and maybe that's a little bit of a, a privileged American perspective. I'm like, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. But again, like I knew I wasn't enthusiastic about it for whatever reason. Um, and for reasons that I couldn't pinpoint, not my perfect fit. And that was okay. And to know that like I'm very replaceable and that's good you know, this organization is going to be okay if, if, and when I resign. And so I think ultimately though, you know, in conversation with Zach, it's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to stay there. Um, I think was kind of my response, which I sound bratty in my own ears, but I, I am glad I, I made that decision. No, I mean, it's fantastic that Zach was able to support you and to say, go for it. Like, yes. it, imagine Again, speaking from personal experience, I've been in a role where your soul's being crushed. That's what it feels like. If you, if you, if you would have gone on like years into what that, with that thought bouncing around your head, mm-hmm. eventually that's what would have happened. And then mm-hmm. that would have shown up in your life and physically manifested in your life in other ways. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is not good. So at least you had the, the foresight to, to, again, to be ahead of it. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things you came around, and I don't think you, you recognize them for yourself, is that you're in tune. You, you, you are in tune with yourself. So, <laughs> yes. so, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, you've you got to give that to yourself of being able to, A, a to pitch that to Zach, mm-hmm. and then follow through on it, and then pursue something enough to try and put you and Zach in a position for the future. Mm-hmm. which is exactly what you're doing right now. I mean, this, I don't know if you remember the start of this year. <laughs> right? And we're, what were we, 11 months in? It's gone so quick, right? <laughs> but you, I remember it felt like the other day you were setting goals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how the year has gone, but compared to the last year, which I think it was, I don't know where in my head, I got four or five events in my head. Mm-hmm. but then you wanted to double it. Mm-hmm. So, so where are you at with that now? Is it, is it doubled? Is it on track? Are you getting there or? 
Yes. So I, I figured, I'm, I'm, I figured, don't remember where exactly I heard this, but you know, kind of that measure of better is just, you know, doing better than you did yesterday. And so last year, my first, so my first, you know, technically six months after quitting my job in 2018, um, I did three weddings under my own name, learned a lot from them. <laughs> um, so then in 2019, this year, you know, I was hoping to book, you know, just double that. It was like, oh, that sounds good. You know, when people ask me, how's my business going, I could tell them I doubled my, my wedding. <laughs> um, but ended up shooting um, seven weddings. I actually have one more in um, December that I get to shoot. So, you know, seven weddings under my own name in addition to for um, and helping him there. So I was like, okay, feeling good, feeling good. Uh, and now for 2020, I have um, nine weddings booked under my own name. And then I just was at a, a big bridal showcase up in Pittsburgh yesterday. And I have currently have 13 new leads sitting in my inbox. Uh, oh, wow. So, um, super excited. So I know like, kind of, and this is kind of where I'm looking forward to really kind of solidifying my goals for 2020 and putting some kind of you know, some, some numbers to that is I know there are a lot of financial goals that I want to hit for next year. Um, that, you know, generally speaking next year, I want to be at at least 14 weddings, uh, booked for the 2020 calendar year, which would double the number of weddings I had for this year. Um, and then ultimately I would like to be working, um, you know, it, it, theoretically right now, not in practice yet, but theoretically 20 weddings a year, um, at, you know, $3,000, a wedding would be, is my goal right now. And that will evolve as our family evolves. Um, but that's my goal. And I, I feel really good about, uh, my progress towards ach achieving that goal and crossing that line. How about that? That's like chef for you. Super chef. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually know that. That's brilliant. Yeah, well, it's 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 hot off the press. Just just yesterday, got all those leads in. So, How fantastic stuff. Yeah, Thanks, definitely. And, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Right. So let's let's this will turn into the next one. Um, actually, one at next, one after next. So, <laughs> tell me a story about something that has amazed you. Hmm. Um, for me, things that amaze me. Um are kind of those inexplicable situations. So for me, um, with a uh, Christian faith background, you know, maybe you kind of define this as like miracles, but just seeing for me how I describe them, um, just those situations that I can only attribute to God showing up there. Mm. Um, so there are two, but I'll share one here. It's uh, in front of mine that happened recently. Um, so we have a, a friend who um, does ministry in Costa Rica. And uh, we went on a mission trip there in, this past May and got to see uh, you know, a lot of people he works with. And one of them, well, two of them technically, were these uh, little girls. They're twins. Um, they were orphaned by their, both of their parents and living with their grandfather who didn't want them. And this grandfather in Costa Rica would go around, you know, anybody that would take these little girls, you know, he was ready to give them up, which was just a very heartbreaking situation um, for these little girls to feel so unloved. 
Um, so we received word from Daniel, um, you know, maybe about a, a month or so ago after, you know, we returned home, we stayed in contact with Daniel and we heard that the grandfather had been arrested because he had sold the little girls. And you know, it's just like, what? Like, you know, how can you do that to another human being, you know, children just, they're so vulnerable. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. Um, so we, you know, I was, we were praying for them to be returned, for them to be safe. And, you know, just how, um, I guess things maybe operate in Costa Rica. Uh, Daniel, you know, the police were, you know, out looking for the girls, you know, the grandfather had been arrested. And um, our friend Daniel was also looking for the girls to, you know, bring them back, recover them, make sure they're safe. Um, he was a little bit afraid that if the police found them, they would go into essentially, you know, foster care, which could be a, an entirely different issue. So a lot of concerns there. But we received word, um, you know, in the last two weeks that Daniel had found the girls and they were safe. You know, he posted a picture of them and, oh my gosh, it was just like, you know, of all the things that, you know, terrible things that could have happened to them, um, you know, they're not in foster care. They're back in caring hands and they're safe. Um, and yeah, just so many things that could have gone wrong. And, you know, I'm not physically able to do anything from here where I am. But I, that just really amazed me that, um, the things that you hope for people, the things that you pray for that, you know, God really listens and, um, you know, he really does, you know, work for, work for our good. And it was just very encouraging. And again, just kind of, you hear so many bad things and, you know, there are so many odds that you can think of, of like, why would they be re returned home safely? The odds just seem against them. Um, so that was one story that I was just so grateful for and was just really amazed um, and excited for how everything turned out for those girls. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good news, man. That's good news. Okay. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> I've had too many, I've had too many things that I've asked for happen. Yeah. Uh, sometimes stuff they just say off the cuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, nuts. Yes. That's, that's another topic. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. So, looking into the future. Okay. What's the craziest and most exciting thing Kimber could be experiencing? Um. So, two things come to mind. So, kind of on a on that kind of short term finite scale. Um. I had a bride that inquired yesterday at the bridal showcase. Uh, who might be getting married in Greece. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, like if I could shoot a wedding in Greece, like how amazing would that be? Like if I actually booked that wedding, I am probably going to cry tears and tears and tears. Um, that would be so cool. Um, and then uh, the craziest, coolest other thing kind of on a larger picture perspective is you know, reaching my goal of, you know, 20 weddings a year, um, you know, having a family and everything actually working out how I hoped it would, <laughs> um, that I have the time to spend with, um, you know, our, our children, our future children. And, you know, I'm still bringing in and contributing financially to our family and our goals uh, that we're able to travel and that that lifestyle that we always hoped for is realized. I think sounds crazy to me 
um, which I hope it's not like my imposter syndrome kicking in, but um, I'm really excited for that. And I, I know it's achievable, but that would kind of be my crazy, cool, exciting future outlook. That's awesome. But you, you, you started the journey, you're on track. Okay. Do you know what I mean? The only thing, what, so if I said to you, what's, you know, really the only thing that can get in your way is you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, no, and knowing that you own all your stuff is not going to happen. <laughs> Therefore, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's just when. You didn't sound like you believe me then. Um, I don't think, I just don't think I have uh, thought about it that way before of like, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And I know, you know, everybody has kind of a different um, philosophy on, you know, timeline of, you know, how, when and how you achieve your goals. Um, but it's, it's very true. I, I see it. I see it. Do you know, do you know what that thing you're looking at now? What? <laughs> that, that, that you say that you see it. Uh huh. You can see it happening. That's the thing you keep need to bang it into, into your front view all the time. Mm-hmm. And pull yourself towards it. Okay. This, it, it it's hundred percent gonna happen. Yeah, I, I've got no doubt whatsoever. <laughs> I it, we will we will be in touch in five years time, and I and you will be telling me the last two or three years you hit twenty every year, and and now you're on twenty plus mm-hmm. because that now you've got people working for you going out doing the weddings. <laughs> <laughs> you'll awesome. see. We'll schedule a call for five years from now. Oh boy. <laughs> What do you think? Okay, I mean, I got back. It's just so crazy, just this job of, you know, talking to brides. They're like, yeah, I'm getting married in 2021. It's like, I have no idea what's going in 2021. Like, I can't even get my family to tell me what's going on for Thanksgiving. That's been like a week. And people are trying to schedule things, you know, get on my calendar for two years from now is just mind blowing. So, five years, no problem, Joel. I, I'm used to it. Fantastic. Right. Okay. Last thing. Can you tell my audience uh, where and on what platforms they can find you? Yeah. So um, I personally, I have accounts on uh, the Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me at Kimber Morgan. And then I have my business um, profiles on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. I'm going to post the links below anyway. So cool. Thanks. Worries, no worries. Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to, I want to recognize and appreciate you for your, your, your honesty, your willingness to share, um, your caring heart, and a smile like you keep bringing to everything. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Joel. This is really great. I really appreciate you. Good. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram. I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit.